Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. We are here, ready to record potentially the most exciting podcast episode in years. The Jets are on a two-game winning streak after defeating the Cleveland Browns 23-16 at MetLife. The current state of the Jets is more fun than it's been all year. Two wins in a row, and almost a win against the Raiders. Could have been three. Could they win next week? Could they make it four? Current state, fun. Future state, we got some breaking news today that's going to change everything for this franchise moving forward, potentially going to put us in a great place to succeed, and there's just a lot of moving parts. We don't have that pressure of this team needs to lose to get Trevor Lawrence in that first overall pick. That's out the window. We can just relax and try to win games now. We're free. We're clear. Open road ahead for this New York Jets team behind Joe Douglas. In him we trust. Let's go, Jets. I'm excited for this podcast episode. I got a special drink today. Got a really nice father time. I mean, the stars are aligning. I know it's week 16. The team's won two games, but can we have a little fun here? I think yes. I think we absolutely can. So here we go. Before we begin, I need to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. It is under the Gang Green Nation podcast series title. This is the Jet Life. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. So we got week 16 here, right? The Jets win against the Browns 23 to 16. That's awesome. We've only got one more game left after this, the New England Patriots. And then from there, we're going to go into our offseason schedule. I want to be a little bit more involved this year. I typically take a lot of the offseason off. Um, I do like a free agency preview and a draft preview and then reviews of both of those sections as well. And I definitely want to still do that, but hopefully going to do a little bit more in terms of valuation of the team, maybe some training camp battles before that gets there. And then just looking a little bit deeper at the team. Also, this is the year that we installed the stars of the week, offense, defense, special teams, as well as the doghouse player of the game. So we got to make sure that we do a proper postseason wrap up to talk about where the team finished and then give out our awards, our official awards. So a lot of good good stuff coming up, even though the season is coming to an end. And uh, I had a really nice podcast planned out for this one, but we got to throw out the outline right now because of the breaking news. So I'm going to let Craig Carton, the WFAN show, Carton and Roberts, let you know the breaking news first since he's the one that broke it. Christopher Johnson had a meeting with his executive team. They have announced to each other internally, they've let Adam Gase know he will no longer be the head coach of the New York Jets. Oh, dear sweet Jesus. Christopher Johnson has made the decision to fire Adam Gase. That is your breaking news. I have it locked. It is confirmed. Mm. I do believe he will coach his final game. And that is it. The Adam Gase era for the New York Jets is now unofficially one game, but is over. He will not return as head coach of the New York Jets. And that is locked. There you go. So there it is. That is what we've heard. Adam Gase is officially being relieved of his duties. Now, it looks like he's going to be coaching the last game of the season against the Patriots. And honestly, I think that's the right thing to do. I think at this point, there's no reason to fire him and just have a little bit of continuity to end the season. Let these players that are here just week one through 17, if you were going to fire him, 
you should have done it forever ago. You know, you probably shouldn't even come back this year. You probably should have never been hired in the first place. He's an offensive guru who has had some of the worst offensive ranks we've ever seen, especially on this New York Jets team. But let him finish the season at this point. One more week, it's not going to do any bad. And the team's on a two-game winning streak. So the big, you know, there was no doubt in our mind that Adam Gase should be fired. It was obvious. The team was one of the worst that we've ever seen, and they were very close to going 0-16, the third team to ever do that. Plus, as I mentioned, he's not good at the portion of the team that he's supposed to be good at. So that was no question. The question was whether or not we could trust our ownership, the Johnsons, Woody or Chris, to make the right decision, and I can't get in the mind of those two guys. I have no idea what they're thinking. They've made some questionable, some downright bad decisions over the years, hired some really bad people. I mean, they hired him to begin with. They gave him power over Mike McCagden in the meeting rooms and things. So we didn't know. But now it sounds like, from what Craig Carton is saying, it's official. He has been told he will not be returning. So what does this mean for the Jets? Well, it means a few things. This team is clearly at a sort of turning point that you can feel. It's the first time that we felt like Sam Darnold maybe isn't the answer moving forward. It's the earliest that we've had a draft pick in many years. We're talking about second overall for the Jets. It's potentially... You know, the division for the first time in 20 years is up for grabs. The Patriots didn't win it this year. Yeah, the Bills are looking dominant right now, but I'm not convinced that that's some sustainable success. The Dolphins, they're in flux a little bit. The Patriots don't even have a quarterback. The Jets have a ton of cap space, ton of draft picks moving forward. This team is about to make a shift. And to do that with a brand new coach is going to be perfect. I think that this is a very enticing job, even though a lot of people say New York is a joke this and that, maybe we don't have a lot of pieces in place right now. I think that Joe Douglas is the type of guy that I would want to work for. I think just knowing him or seeing him and his personality and stuff, he's the type of guy that you'd love to go to war with. You'd trust him, you believe him. Got a good head on his shoulders as well. When you look at some of the young talent that we've had, guys like Mackay Beckton, the left tackle, which is a premium position, locked up. A Quinn and Williams nose tackle could be one of the best in the league. Hopefully Marcus May, he gets locked up. There's a lot to look for there. The New York market, very fruitful. You get to draft. You can potentially get any other quarterback, which is this is supposed to be a pretty good quarterback draft class. I know Trevor Lawrence is the big name everybody's talking about, but there are some other guys as well, and Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, and there are others past that as well. And then, as we mentioned, the cap space, having the most or second most cap space in the league, the opportunity to, in a year where a lot of teams will potentially be trying to save money as with COVID and everything, this may be the first year in a long time that the salary cap actually gets smaller. So teams may find themselves penny-pinching more than usual. And that's the time where maybe they got to make some cuts to try to get their roster under the cap. And that's when the Jets can strike because as they've got cap casualties, we've got the money. There's a lot to like on this New York Jets team right now. We don't have the quarterback locked up. I think there are people that could look at this job and say Sam Donald can absolutely do it. We saw what he did in college. We knew what he could be coming out. He looks like he's been messed with a bit, probably probably went two years back in regression, but he's still 23 years old, super young, tons of natural ability, and he's a project that a lot of people would want to take on. So Adam Gase's time here is up, and we will find somebody to work with Sam, work with a new quarterback, and help us fill out this team. It's going to be a collective effort. I am sure that Joe Douglas will have a lot of input from his head coach. The rumor is right now that Joe Douglas is actually going to have the final say 
on who the head coach is. Now, that was a worry as well, that maybe they were going to have two separate powers like it was with McCagden and Gase. Maybe you were going to have McCagden or you were going to have Douglas do his job. You're going to have the head coach do that job. Both would directly report to the Johnsons. I don't think that's the right way to do it. It should be ownership, general manager, and then coaches below. That's the typical structure that teams use. And frankly, there's no reason to do something that's a little bit abnormal, especially when you've got no success of really anything. Let's just, can we just be structured and just follow the outline that other successful teams have used for many, many years? So we don't necessarily know Joe Douglas's plan moving forward. We know that he values young culture people. He wants to have the best culture in sports, team leaders. He's going for youth. We know that he wants to build up the offensive line, but past that, we're not entirely sure what his end vision will be. But you can be sure that the head coach that he hires will be in line with what he wants to do. He may have already had a past relationship with this coach as well. I put together a list of some possible coaches just to get some names in your ears right now to think about. Um, I've got some top-tier type of guys that, well, I'll just read them to you. Robert Sala, San Francisco's D.C., Brian Dable, Buffalo's O.C., Wink Martindale, Baltimore's D.C., Greg Roman, Baltimore's O.C., and Arthur Smith, Tennessee's O.C. So those are some good names that are already working at the NFL level right now, offensive or defensive, that could be good coaches for the Jets. It's up to Joe Douglas to do the you know actual evaluation of them and hear their plans and everything. But these are some names. Some other guys that could potentially be mentioned and, uh, you know, maybe not my first choice, mostly because either I don't like their history or I don't know enough about them. Philadelphia's head coach, Doug Peterson, if he gets fired, Bill Cowher, who's currently on TV, Urban Meyer, Lincoln Riley, Joe Brady, David Shaw, or Matt Campbell, all college coaches, Brian Schottenheimer, a guy we've seen on the Jets in the past, and Eric Bieniemy, offensive coordinator of the Chiefs. So those are some other names that we could potentially be looking at. I think we have to steer very, very clear of the old, in-the-way coaches. I don't want a Marvin Lewis or a Jim Caldwell or somebody who's already been around the block and been relieved of their duties for whatever reason. We need some nice, new, young blood, somebody who hasn't had the opportunity to be a head coach yet, or somebody who's been at the college level as a head coach and ready to take the next leap. It's going to be a risk but it's up to Joe Douglas to make sure that the right decision is made. Please, Johnson's, no search committee like they did in the past to find a head coach or a general manager like they found Mike McCagden that way with a party of, I think it was Casserly and Ron Wolf, and it was just a mess, and it was like, dude, what is happening right now? You get these old talking heads in there telling you which way to go. They've been out of the game for long enough themselves. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we've got to be excited. We wanted Adam Gase gone, and... He had a horrible season. He is on a two-game winning streak right now, but in no way should he have kept his job. We'll be moving forward. It's no secret that Adam Gase failed his entire time here for the most part, and most people saw it coming beforehand. I tried to give him the benefit of the doubt the whole time, as I always do, because I'm an optimistic Jets fan. But frankly, the writing was on the wall, and come week seven, six even of this year, it was like, okay, this this is it. It's over for him. It's time to get in a new offensive coordinator. No more Dawa Loggins because he goes with Adam Gase. Finally get a quarterback's coach, something we don't even have right now. All sorts of good things on the rise. But the most important thing, so what I mentioned before, is that we're going to have a head coach hired by a general manager that I truly, truly trust. And the two of them are going to be a cohesive unit working together towards an end goal, something that we haven't had in a very long time. Mike McCagnan and Adam Gase were never on the same page. And that was a mixed-up relationship when it started, and then McCagnon got fired. Then Joe Douglas came in. Of course, he wanted the Jets' job, but 
Adam Gase is not his guy. And for the first time in a while, it feels like, okay, this this makes sense. We've got a good person at the helm, and they're going to find the right person for the job. So I am completely trusting what is going to happen with the Jets in terms of coaching and management. Okay, so now that we've covered Adam Gase being relieved, most likely after the Patriots game, it's going to be really awkward. Uh, they're going to talk about it plenty. I still hope that he absolutely crushes the New England Patriots. I know that people are saying it's potential he could be going for a job over there. I don't know how true all that is. But let's watch him smoke the New England Patriots in one last hurrah with the New York Jets to finish a three-game winning streak to ride off into the sunset and look for a job elsewhere. Because you know, as he always does, he will find work. Probably a job that he still is not truly qualified for again. But now we can move on to the Jets-Browns game where, as we mentioned, the Jets won 23-16. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. So this game was exciting. We were always excited going in because there were some good matchups. Makai Becton against Miles Garrett. Sam Darnold against Baker Mayfield. We're going to talk about both of those. The Browns, you know, they're going for the playoffs, and they've been one of the more disappointing franchises in the league, much, much more disappointing than the Jets. And for as long as you can keep those bottom teams at the bottom, the Jets will never truly be more pathetic. But if they keep rising up, if you've got, like, the Lions and the Browns and the Cardinals start doing really well, then potentially at one point you're going to look back and be like, wow, I think the Jets are one of the worst franchises ever. We need to keep these Cleveland Browns in the mud. And so I'm going out here hoping to beat this team. They are 10-5 and five, looking poised for the playoffs, much like the Saint, uh, Los Angeles Rams game from last week. But we're on a one-game winning streak. We're feeling good. And 24 hours before the game, we get breaking news. There is a COVID outbreak from the Cleveland Browns organization. It stems from their starting linebacker, B.J. Goodson, who's one of their best tackling players, one of their best players on defense. And it has spread to the entire wide receiver room, for the most part, with the exception of Marvin Hall. We've got Jarvis Landry, Rashard Higgins, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Kadrell Hodges, all not playing, all wide receivers. No linebacker B.J. Goodson, as we mentioned. And Jedrick Wills, the offensive lineman that the Jets were looking at to play left tackle for them, drafted by the Browns right before us, he was out for illness. So right away, you're like, oh my goodness, this whole game plan is going down. Baker Mayfield's weapons are gone, and this is going to be even more interesting than we originally thought. Now, winning is a little bit more promising or exciting now because the Jets won last week and they have given up their spot of drafting first overall to get Trevor Lawrence. At this point, the Jaguars are in the driver's seat, and sure, if they win a game against the Bears or the Colts to end the season— and the Jets lose, the Jets will go back to number one. But the Jags have been sold so bad, and it looks like they're purposely trying to tank. They're playing Mike Glennon instead. This team is not trying to win, and it's very unlikely. So at this point, let's just beat the Browns, beat the Patriots, draft second, move on from that life without Trevor. But the Browns coming into this game don't have their people, and everybody starts making excuses. Well, the game plan's already set in stone. Okay, first of all, the... Cleveland Browns have three very, very good tight ends. Austin Hooper, one of the highest paid, if not the highest paid tight end in the league. David Njoku, a super freak athlete. And their young rookie, Harrison Bryant. All promising players. In the running game, they've got Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, the best rushing attack in the league. So technically, they still have plenty of weapons to exploit a bad one-win Jets team who barely won one single game. But all everybody's mentioning is, Oh, the Browns didn't have their wide receivers. This was a really tough game. Excuses. You know, you want to talk about four wide receivers missing for the Cleveland Browns in this game? How about the Jets? 
just on defense alone, going up against that same offensive unit. I don't know. We're missing Quinn and Williams, Kyle Phillips, Jordan Jenkins, Harvey Longy, C.J. Mosley, Blake Cashman, Patrick and Wassour, Brian Poole, Javelin Guidry, Bradley McDougald, Ashton Davis. We also got rid of Jamal Adams before the season started. Midseason traded Steve McClendon and cut Pierre Desir. And the new defensive coordinator after relieving Greg Williams of his duties. So if you want to talk about a banged up unit, look at that New York Jets defense. You should be able to go in with your fourth, fifth, sixth wide receiver, two all-pro running backs, and some really good tight ends, and find some success. But the Cleveland Browns could not, so no excuses for them. Bad game for them. Honestly, some bad coaching from Kevin Stefanski. They did not run the ball nearly enough. They should have, I mean, when they came out and they started with three consecutive passes and then punted the ball on their first drive, you were like, what is going on right now? Why are they doing this? Everybody knows the weakness right now is the passing game. The strength is the rushing game. They should be trying to wear this Jets team down. We're down to the to the fringe players. We've got 14 defensive players missing. I mean, for crying out loud, but they couldn't do it. The Jets hold on. Sam Darnold manages the game again. No turnovers. And feels pretty darn good. So, yeah, the Browns are missing players for COVID. I don't feel bad for them. They lost a game because they were outplayed by the Jets, who were playing who knows who. We do. We know. We love them all. So I want to talk Sam Darnold versus Baker Mayfield because going in, this is the most interesting matchup to me. Sam Darnold should have been, in most people's eyes, the first quarterback taken in the 2018 draft. The Browns shocked the world and took Baker Mayfield instead and allowed the Jets to, at number three, take Sam Darnold. Since then, Baker Mayfield's career has been up and down. Sam Darnold's career has been up and then down. It hasn't really ever gone back up since that point. It's just been a slow regression for Sam. And I didn't want Baker Mayfield. I was very, very vocal about it. I very much wanted Sam Darnold. Wanted nothing to do with the brat Baker Mayfield. So in this game, of course, I'd love to see a one-on-one matchup where Sam comes out and rocks and rolls, and we give Baker Mayfield trouble. Now, when you take the receivers away, okay, that helps the Jets a little bit. Sam Darnold, he's on a little bit of a, I wouldn't say he's on a hot streak, but he hasn't been making a lot of bad mistakes. He's been managing the ball very, very well of late. And the Browns don't have the best defense in the league. They are one of the easier teams to beat up on. I mean, the Bengals scored over 30 points on them twice. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, we can do it. If we can hold this team under 20 to 23 points, the Jets can win this game. That's what I said beforehand. Of course they do, and they do. When you look at Sam Darnold versus Baker Mayfield, in this game, Sam, he has the better game. There's no other way to put it. Baker Mayfield fumbles the ball three times. Two of them are lost. He's sacked four times, and he throws the ball 53 times in this game. I mean, this they put this on Baker Mayfield's shoulders. I don't know why they ran 18 times for 45 yards, and they chose to go all Baker Mayfield. But with 53 attempts, he gets sacked four times, fumbles the ball three times, ends with a 68 quarterback rating, Throws no touchdowns, and really most alarming if you're a Browns fan is he was missing the mark time and time again. And sure, you can say, well, his receivers are backups and they're not running the right routes, but he's throwing to some tight ends that have been there all year. He's throwing to some running backs out of the backfield, and he is just missing the mark across the field, regardless of who he's throwing to. Sam Darnold, on the other hand, you know, he's only 16 for 32 in this game, 50% completion percentage, but two passing touchdowns. He's only sacked two times. He doesn't have any fumbles, no turnovers finishes with a quarterback rating of 87.4. And 
Sam Darnold in this game outplayed him. It was not a wow game from Sam. It was a bad game from Baker. And I would have liked to see more, but when Sam throws two touchdowns, no picks, and the Jets win the game, I'm going to be pretty happy. Another quarterback who was just way better than Baker Mayfield in this game, Jamison Crowder, he threw one pass, 43 yards for a touchdown. So, I mean, we've got wide receivers throwing the ball, and they're complaining about not having wide receivers to catch the ball. Ours are throwing it and doing a, a pretty darn good job. So let's not talk about backups. When you look at the other matchup that was big in this one offensively, Makai Becton versus Miles Garrett. And Miles Garrett, no secret, is one of the best defensive linemen in the league. Pass rusher, one of the top sack leaders in the league this year. Again, time and time again, he is, uh, he's been dominant since he entered the league, and he gives everybody trouble. We played last year. He injured Trevor Simeon on kind of a cheap hit and sacked repeatedly Luke Falk. Kelvin Beecham had a hell of a time with him last year, and uh, we all remember that game. Makai Becton, it's his turn. He's been dominant against everybody this year, rocking and rolling. And unfortunately, you know, it wasn't as good a game as we've seen from Becton. Garrett ended up with two pressures. He got a sack, and Makai Becton had, like, two false starts in this game. So it got to him a little bit, but two pressures, one sack given up. Other than that one bad play and a couple false starts, he overall was pretty consistent and pretty good. Solid in the running game. They did switch Olivier Vernon to go up against Makai Becton on a few plays. He did well against him. Um, it wasn't a bad game, but it wasn't like I was hoping for the dominance. I wanted to see Miles Garrett get absolutely neutralized. Miles Garrett is a Pro Bowler. Makai Becton was a Pro Bowl snub. He actually led all offensive tackles in fan voting. But there's a second portion of the voting that is media reporters and whoever else that gets a say in this whole thing. And they ended up putting in a bunch of other offensive linemen. I don't even want to give them credit right now. Mackay Becton did not make it. He should have made it. But he went up against Miles Garrett, played all right. Not his best game of the season. That was one I really wanted to look for. He's still got a ways to go. This is a rookie year for him. He's an offensive tackle playing left tackle in his rookie year. It's a really hard thing to do. He's doing a very, very, very good job. So I am not worried about him at all. He's got some growing to do, but that's going to happen with time. And that's what we saw there. Uh, the next section was to talk about Adam Gase's coaching, which at this point really isn't that important anymore because we know that he's gone. But we saw in this game he was throwing out some more trick plays. In this game, we actually ran with Perriman. We ran with Crowder. We did a, a pass from Crowder. We got some screen pass over to Berrios. I mean, there was some trickery and some offensive play calling that was like, whoa, we haven't seen this. And it was a question, is he feeling confident because of the win? And he's finally feeling like, you know what? We can do some stuff against this Browns team we won last week. Let's pull it out. Or is he just panicking because he knows he's about to lose his job? Well, at this point, we now know that he does lose his job. So perhaps it was panic. He's just saying, well, you know what? I do have some creativity. What if I tried this? And it's like, you know what, man? It's too late for that. If we'd seen that week one, week two, week three, we could have scrounged a couple wins off and at least stayed relevant this season rather than be looked at for most of the season as one of the worst teams in NFL history. That would have been nice, but that's not the case. And unfortunately, you know, week 16 to start pulling out some trick plays. Yeah, they work, but you, know, you get fired when you wait that long. You want to talk about the defense? Frank Bush is actually coaching pretty well. He had a tough first game, but since then, I mean, this Jets team, we just beat the Rams. We just beat the Browns. It's possible that we knock the Browns out of the playoffs. That would be really cool if they lose next week to the Steelers. But I actually, in terms of the 
Frank Bush conversation have a really nice Father Time submission that does touch on Frank Bush, gives him a little bit of love. So I want to read that before going into Frank Bush on my own. So this is this week's Father Time written by David Burnham. Here we go. Thank you, Jets. Thank you for the last quarter of the 2020 season. Thank you for giving your fan base a four-game peak around the corner. The Raiders game, it was a difficult loss, but it showed the Jets that they can actually win a game. It also showed Greg Williams the door. He taught our young players a lot, but his consistent game-time blitz pressure was very predictable and very stoppable. In the end, the loss turned into a huge building block for this team. The Rams game, it taught the Jets that they, they can rough up some of the best teams, push them around, and have fun doing it. Is it me, or do the 2020 Jets with the second-worst record seem to be having more fun than almost any other team in the NFL? I don't think the Rams will recover from the beating they just took from our winless team. The Browns? I'm giving kudos to the whole team, but I want to bring up Frank Bush, the interim defensive coordinator. The Jets got as much pressure rushing four as the Greg Williams kamikaze blitzes. The extra defensive backfield coverage was as effective or more effective than sending the house to the quarterback. The defense seemed under control and showed that the need to attack the quarterback is not the only way. New York accumulated four sacks, seven quarterback hits, four tackles for loss, three forced fumbles, and 11 pass breakups last Sunday. Thank you, Frank Bush. A potent recipe is being brewed here, and I'm happy to say Bill Belichick asterisk is concerned about Sunday in Foxborough. We can tell that there are good things to come. Thank you, 2020 Jets, for the peek around the corner. Go Jets. End scene. So that is this week's Father Time, written by my dad, David Burnham. And this is a good one. There's a ton to unpack here. I mean, he talks about the Raiders game. He's absolutely right. It uh, it showed us that we were, you know, a fringe good team. And it was tough to lose that one. But in reality, you know, without the last 10 seconds, we really did. The Rams game, beating them up, that gave the team some confidence. And they were having fun. And winning that game, seeing them celebrate, it was awesome. And then to do it again against the Browns, to rough up that team. But he's absolutely right with Frank Bush, and that was what originally got us to this father time, is that Frank Bush is doing a darn good job right now. I'm not saying that he's going to keep the job for next year as D.C., but I'm saying as an interim guy for a defense that's been struggling all year doing the exact same thing. I mean, think of how many Greg Williams games we've seen the the wide-open, deep, soft zones in the middle of the field open for every single receiver we play against. No matter who it is, every single team has somebody go for 140 yards. I mean, the last game that we saw Greg Williams coach against Darren Waller, he found that spot over and over and over again. Then we play the Rams, and nobody really goes off against us. We kind of stop Jared Goff for the most part, changing the defense a little bit. And then we play the Browns, and we do the same thing. And you can say what you want about Jared Goff's inconsistencies or the Cleveland Browns missing a couple wide receivers. We don't have the most talented defense in the league, and Kevin Stefanski and Sean McVay should be able to dial up a little bit more than the amount of points they scored against us. So you got to give him credit. And my dad's absolutely right. When you look at the snap counts in this game, the Jets had five defensive backs on the field all game long, which is nickel formation. They sometimes had six, which would be dime. They were playing consistently. LaShawn Austin across from Bryce Hall at cornerback. Arthur Mollett mostly playing slot with Marcus May and Matthias Farley at safety. Now Mollett moved around a little bit, but Corey Ballantyne came on the field as a defensive back a little bit. And this team decided not to just be blitzing linebackers all game and send five guys that all get picked up and leave wide open zones. They said, you know what, let's send four. 
and see if we can get pressure with John Franklin Myers, Nathan Shepard, Terrell Basham, Foley Fadikasi. And they did. And they found success. And they had more guys back to defend the pass. And so it made it very difficult for Baker Mayfield. There weren't nearly as many wide-open receivers as there were in the first 11 games, or 13 games, rather, that Greg Williams helped us lose. And overall, it's just refreshing. It's nice to see the team play a different way and have success doing it. I love that number that he brought up. We had seven quarterback hits and four sacks, four tackles for loss, and three forced fumbles. And almost all of that, with the exception of some Frankie Louvu in there, and if you want to call Terrell Basham an outside linebacker, if he plays in a three-point stance, he's essentially just a down lineman. That was all coming from that defensive line. A really nice thing to see without pushing the blitz, without sending Neville Hewitt, cornerbacks, things like that. They were getting it done, and it felt good. And then 11 pass breakups, that is a crazy amount of pass breakups. Arthur Marlett led the team with three. I mean, across the board, these guys were breaking up passes, and it was it was nice to see. He's right. Bill Belichick is absolutely nervous about this game. For all those of you that watched the Bills and the Patriots game last night, got to enjoy that wonderful little piece of loveliness. I'm no Bills fan. The Bills are fun to watch, but I love watching the Patriots lose. Even though they're already out of the playoffs and they're playing for nothing, it is just nice to see. And Cam Newton was useless, and Jarrett Stidham was even more useless. We're going to talk about that a little bit later from now. But, uh, yeah, if you're Bill Belichick, you're playing for nothing. The Jets are playing for nothing. I mean, it's just pride at this point. Can Bill Belichick's team beat this Jets team? He probably can. He'll probably dial up something that's going to make life difficult for Sam Darnold. But their offense is going to be struggling against this Frank Bush defense. I tell you that. So thank you, Dad, for the Father Time submission. Really awesome. Before we get over to a little bit more deep dive into the New York Jets versus Cleveland Browns game, we got to do a quick commercial. All righty, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to This is the Jet Life. The next order of business is to touch base on the AFC East where we have a clear division winner and leader in the Buffalo Bills, who just dominated the New England Patriots. They are now 12-3, and and they are potentially one of the most dangerous teams going into the playoffs. I think the Chiefs are the scariest one, but in the AFC, those Buffalo Bills, they are playing good football. And Josh Allen is having as good a season as we could ever imagine him having. So, you know, credit to them. Credit to Sean McDermott and the squad over there. We could be potentially looking at Brian Dable, their offensive coordinator for a Jets head coaching job. That's very possible. But, uh, you know, I'm not going to be rooting for the Bills in the playoffs, but I got to say, they're fun to watch, and they are playing some damn good football. Behind them, the Miami Dolphins are 10-5. and They are still fighting for the playoffs. They got to play against the Bills coming up next week, and if they lose, they may be out. So we'll see what happens. It was very interesting that Tua Tungavailoa for the second time this season, was playing a bad game that was a must-win, trying to make the playoffs here. Couldn't get anything going against the Raiders last week, and they had to bring in Ryan Fitzpatrick at the very end of the game. And in like 10 minutes, Ryan Fitzpatrick had surmounted everything that Tua Tungabailoa had done in three quarters plus. Fitzpatrick made some amazing plays. Very end, if you saw that thing, it was a crazy comeback from the Dolphins. Ryan Fitzpatrick made one of the most incredible throws you'll ever see, as only Fitzmagic could. Won the game for the team, and you got to be thinking right now if you're the Dolphins, like, listen, we want to play Tua, and Tua is a pretty good, consistent quarterback who gives us maybe a better chance to win the turnover battle than Ryan Fitzpatrick would. But this guy just can't get the ball downfield. He can't move, get out of his own way. He 
takes a lot of sacks. And I don't know if the Dolphins can win right now without playing Fitzpatrick. And so the hope is that they do play Fitzpatrick and it gets into, you know, you don't want to wish bad on anybody. But when you're a Jets fan, you need the rest of the division to be bad. You need Tua Tungavailoa to not find success in the NFL if you want the Jets to find it. We can't all win the division every year. Only one team can. So hopefully this starts messing with Tua Tungavailoa's head and he's just like, why aren't I good enough? Ryan Fitzpatrick coming in and he's just got like these training wheels on forever and they treat him like a baby and it takes three years before they're like, well, his rookie year he was okay, but we didn't get to see him at the end of the game because Fitzpatrick was always playing when there was adversity out there. I mean... It's it's a spicy little narrative going on there. This this quarterback controversy for a team that's ten and five playing for the playoffs. Behind them, the New England Patriots six and nine, horrible team. The Jets behind them two and thirteen, horrible team. The only difference is the Patriots are on a three game losing streak. The Jets are on a two game winning streak. So ours is a lot cooler. When you look at the draft standings, the Jaguars are picking first. No other way to slice it. No matter what happens, if they lose. The Jets lose next week and the Dolphins win, we will still be drafting second. So get Trevor Lawrence out of your head. I know a lot of people were obsessed with that idea. It had to be Trevor Lawrence. It had to be, well, you know what? At this point, let's just beat the Patriots. But there is one more thing to be said is that the way that the draft works, if the Jets have two wins when the season is over, meaning they lose next week, and the Jaguars have two wins when the season is over, meaning they beat the Colts next week, we'll both be 2-13. and 13. The Jaguars will get the first overall pick because of strength of schedule. They had an, a much easier schedule and won two games than the Jets. And so because they're the more pathetic 2-13 and 13 team for losing those easy games, they pick first. But the caveat is if teams are tied and the tiebreaker goes to strength of schedule, what they do is the subsequent rounds, they'll go every other for who picks where. So essentially the Jaguars would pick first, the Jets second in the first round, But in the second round, the Jets would pick 33rd, the Jaguars would pick 34th, and they'd go back and forth for the rest of the draft through round seven. So that's not any reason to root for the Jets to lose against the New England Patriots. It is just something that if we do end up seeing the Jaguars win the game, since they know they're going to get Trevor Lawrence no matter what, maybe they come out and play good against a division rival, the Jets drop it. I mean, we will see potentially something change. You're not playing for absolutely nothing at that point. But it's nowhere near worth not beating the Patriots. you got to beat the Patriots. So you'll notice your fan base talking about life after Trevor. Everybody had been so obsessed with the idea that these Jets could get the number one quarterback in the draft, Clemson star, Trevor Lawrence, the golden god, that he could be a New York Jet and we could ride off with him winning Super Bowl after Super Bowl the same way we were excited about Sam Darnold when we got him. But this is all different because he's a different guy and he's graded as well as yada yada. The Jets win last week against the Rams and it was the worst win in Jets history. I can't believe they won this game. What's going to happen? Now we have to root for the Jets to lose and the Jaguars to win. Listen, the Jaguars aren't winning. They got smoked by the Bears. Wasn't even close. That was the game that I thought the Jaguars could win. But they play Mike Glenn instead of Gardner Minshew. They try not to win that game and they will be getting Trevor Lawrence. At this point now, the Jets are a two-win team. I think that it's very possible that the Jets can win next week against the Patriots, making them a three-win team. And considering the tiebreaker, if the tide goes to the Jaguars, that would make us essentially two and a half games up on the Jaguars. We aren't even close to drafting Trevor Lawrence. We won't even be in the arena of like, oh, we were right there. It's like, no, we're going to end up a two- or three-win team. 
and the Jaguars are going to end up a one-win team. It's not like we had the same schedule and it was like just came down to the Rams game. If we had lost that thing, things would have been different. Like, unfortunately, whether you want to believe it or not, this Jets team is too good for that. We're too talented. We've won too much. We beat decent teams too. The Jets have had a much more difficult schedule. If we had played the Jaguars schedule, I think this team would have four or five wins right now. As bad as they've played with the coaching that they've had. We are nowhere near as bad as the Jaguars, and they deserve to have the greatest quarterback of all time and then absolutely flounder with him. They deserve to put all of their eggs in this basket, be laughed at forever, mercilessly, for giving up, having their own fans cheer for the loss at the stadium, going crazy, oh, cheering for the Bears all game long. No pride, just take it. Even the mayor of Jacksonville was talking about how the Jets did him a great service by winning the game against the Rams because now they could have their guy in Trevor Lawrence. It's like, you know what, at this point, like, I like Trevor Lawrence a lot, and I really wanted him to be a Jet, and he's one of the quarterbacks that I followed in college more than any other. But, like, he gets to the point where it's like, I almost feel like I have to root against him now because there have been so many Jets fans saying that we have to have him, he's the only way, and the Jaguars are, like, doing this sneaky, snaky way to get the first overall pick and get there and not risk possibly losing Trevor Lawrence. And it's like, you know what? I hope that you don't win six, seven Super Bowls, and I have to hear about it every single year with him. I hope that he's just a good average quarterback but can never win the big game. That's what I'd love to see. Had a nice long career for him, healthy, playing well, one of the better Jaguar quarterbacks of all time, but can never win the big game. So anyways, that is the draft standings check-in. Next order of business, we got to start talking about the actual Cleveland Browns versus Jets game where they won 23-16. to We're going to talk team stats really quick. This episode, obviously, with all the news going on, is going a little bit slower than usual, so we are going to breeze through a few sections faster than usual. Talking team stats in this one, the Jets actually played a very similar game to the Cleveland Browns when you look at, like, passing first downs and total yardage. The Jets finished this game with 333 in yardage, which is a pretty good amount for them this year. It's still not that 400 mark I'd like to see, but 333, it's all right. It was split between 202 yards of passing, 131 yards of rushing, so decent split there, and they outgained the Browns by about 33 yards. Now, what really won it for the Jets when you look at team stats is the Browns had two turnovers, two fumbles by Baker Mayfield picked up by the Jets, and the Jets had none. So we won the turnover battle plus two. And then when you look at sacks, the Browns took four, the Jets took two. And when you look at yards per play, the Jets at 4.8, the Browns at 4, almost a yard more per play. The Browns were not efficient with the ball. They turned it over, and they got negative yardage plays much too frequently to win the game. Other than that, across the board, the Jets had more penalties, 7 for 58. I would like to see that number go down, although I was going to talk about this later. The Foley-Fatakasi 15-yard roughing the passer penalty is probably the worst call I've ever seen in my entire life. He pulled up. He put his arms up. He barely rubbed in to Baker Mayfield with just his chest, and Baker Mayfield took one hop back and didn't even fall over, and they called a roughing the passer penalty. That is absolute bullshit. It pissed me off. And frankly, the Jets should have 15 less penalty yards. They should be at 43 yards of, of penalties, which would be better than the Browns' performance. But no, again, we have worse penalties, and that kept their drive going, and that was like potentially going to be a big game booster for the Browns. 
But, you know, the Browns played like the Browns and lost the game, so it didn't end up mattering in the end. But just totally unfair. And they have to mention, like, at the same time, this is the most roughing the passer penalties of any team in the NFL. It's like, well, I mean, are you seeing what's getting called right now? Let's go back on this whole list of stuff because the Jets have not been that dirty. We have a lot of roughing the passer penalties, but there have been a lot called on Quinn and Williams and some other guys in that D-line that are very similar to Foley Fadikasi's in this game. A little bit more brutal, maybe a push at the end, but these aren't like dirty, gruesome Miles Garrett hits. These are just like <laughs> slightly after the whistle or slightly after the guy gets the ball out of his hands, a little shove. Whatever. Nobody respects the Jets, especially the refs. And we've seen it all year long. We are an undisciplined team, but we always lose the penalty battle. So the Jets win 23-16, and the turnovers to me is the biggest thing when you look at it. That is what it was. When you don't turn the ball over at all, and you force a few turnovers, usually you win the game. I think it's when you win the turnover battle by one, you're at like 60% chance of winning. When you win the turnover battle by two, you're over 70%, and that's where the Jets were. So moving over to the offense, when you look at the offensive performances, we talked about Sam Darnold already. He had a game manager style game. He didn't move the ball downfield all that quickly, but he didn't turn the ball over. As we said, he only took two sacks and the Jets only had two, three and outs in this entire game. So for the most part, he was picking up yardage, at least picking up first downs, keeping drives alive. He wasn't just getting the ball right back into the Browns hands. He was playing good enough football to keep the clock moving keep the ball moving, gave Braden Mann good punting position time and time again because he was moving the ball. I mean, you win the field position battle in a game like this. This Jets team is not going to blow out very many teams. They're especially not going to blow out a 10-win Browns team. You know, the Jets aren't going to come out here and win a game 40-3. to That's just not going to happen with the unit that we've got right now, especially with all the guys missing. So it ends up becoming very important to win the field position game. Sam Darnold helped us do that. Moving over to the receivers, since we're on the passing thing here, we're just going to go right to it. Star of the game, no question. Everybody already knows it. Jamison Crowder balled out in this game. He was awesome. Jamison Crowder has been the Jets' most reliable receiver. He showed up most consistently over his entire time being here for the two years. In this game, he was involved in every portion of the offense. He had one pass for 43 yards, a beautiful dime, a beautiful trick play. Ty Johnson flips over to Jamison Crowder, who throws to the wheeling Braxton Berrios on the right sideline for a perfect placed ball. Just gets to the end zone. Touchdown. 43 yards there. So a passing touchdown for Jamison Crowder on one 43-yard beauty. He also ran the ball one time for a nice 14-yard first down pickup. So that was a really nice play. And then he led all receivers with seven receptions and 92 receiving yards and another touchdown there. Jamison Crowder was amazing in this game. He did everything that you hope he can do. And that's why you pay Jamison Crowder what you pay him. That's why you brought him in here to begin with. And that's why we've seen him lead the Jets in offensive stars of the game. He has been the man. And I love Jamison Crowder. I wish he could have played every single game this year. He's one of the best receivers that we've had in a very long time. I hope that we keep him on his contract next year because seven receptions on nine targets, 92 years. I mean, yeah, he's just there. Sam Darnold loves Jamison Crowder and... How could you not when the guy does a little bit of everything? Next best receiver in this game, Braxton Berrios. He had that 43-yard bomb from Crowder. That was a touchdown, so good game for him. 60 yards. He had a nice little screen pass mixed in there to make up most of the other yardage. And then you want to talk about another guy who had a secretly, 
like a quietly good game again is Chris Herndon. And he had the touchdown, but it was quiet because still, it's just 34 yards. But when you look at four catches for 34 yards and a touchdown, that's about as good as we've gotten from Chris Chris Herndon this year. And frankly, at this point, now that he's strung a couple of these weeks together, it is significantly better than the season that Trevon Wesco, Daniel Brown, or Ryan Griffin have had in the receiving game this year. We even had Ross Travis for a bit. I mean, we've been playing, you know, there's been four to five tight ends on this roster playing consistently, four specifically that play, and really none of them have had any success. Chris Herndon's made by far the most mistakes, a lot of fumbles early in the year, some really bad drops as well, but the only person that's made plays in the passing game also is Chris Herndon. So a decent game for him here, picked up some crucial first downs, had a really nice thread-the-needle catch Sam Darnold put between two defenders for a first down. And uh, if Chris Herndon can keep it up, hopefully we can get, you know, the ball rolling towards next year. I think that we should still bring in another tight end to potentially be the number one. But I think Chris Herndon could take a step back and be that number two tight end. And potentially, like, you know, you've got injuries and stuff. And Chris Herndon could move into that number one role if he does a really good job, which we've seen his rookie year. He's got some ability in him. The rest of the receiving game, it was really quiet. We had one catch from P. Ryan for 14 yards. We had one catch from Daniel Brown for 13 yards. That was actually a pretty nice play and a surprise to see number 87 with the ball in his hands. Frank Gore had one catch for five yards. Perriman was targeted six times in this game, no catches. That's pretty crazy. He also had a couple drops, could have had a touchdown. Perriman is, uh, he's Perriman, right? He gets open from time to time. Sometimes it's a huge gainer. He's really fast, but sometimes he also just drops balls that you'd wish he'd catch. Denzel Mims, on the other hand, he only had two targets, no catches, and he did get one opportunity. He was very quiet in this game. He was matched up with Denzel Ward a lot. There was one throw the Jets gave him a chance on the sideline. Denzel Ward was there. It was a nice throw. Denzel Mims gave his body up, got his hands in the perfect spot. He was about to come down with that ball, but Ward got his hand in perfectly. I mean, Ward is one of the best cornerbacks in the league, and he made a great play there. Otherwise, that was going to be caught. If it was really any other cornerback, and hopefully he'll have more opportunities against some some other guys next year. You know, might look like at this point he might not get a touchdown this year, and that's a real bummer. Uh, he's definitely been quieter the last three weeks than he was the rest of his time playing here, but uh, I'm still high on Denzel Mims. I still think he's going to be a starting receiver for the Jets moving forward. And, you know, we got a new coach and new offensive coordinator coming very soon. So we'll see how they can utilize a talent like him. We go over to the running game. It needs to be mentioned that Frank Gore became only the third player in NFL history to have 16,000 rushing yards. So props to Frank Gore for being the absolute man. The minute he got that, he got injured. I don't know if that's suspect or if it's just unlucky, but he was fighting, scratching, scrapping for every single yard. 14 carries for 48 yards. His long was seven. Again, this guy does not break big gainers. He's got a 3.4 yard per carry average. He's basically like you're guaranteed to get between two and five yards every time you're on Frank Gore. And you're not going to get that much more. And when the game's over, it's going to be for a 3.4 average. And then LaMichael Pirine, a guy that I've been kind of hard on this year, not in the good way, uh, kind of like soft on, is LaMichael Pirine. Nine carries, 30 yards, 3.3 yard per carry. He had a nine long in this game. He really just doesn't flash any bit of speed, power, or juking ability. It's just like this very average style running back. And I don't know. I just... With this offensive line that we've got and what I'm hoping to do in the future, it just doesn't have a guy like LaMichael Pirine 
running slowly in lanes, not making big gains. We need the ability to break some. We've seen guys like Ty Johnson, minimal carries. Even in this game, two carries for 13 yards. I mean, that's a 6.5 yard per carry average there. He only got two carries, so it's not a big sample size. But, like, every time you see these other guys get the ball, other than Frank Gore and Pirine, they just get way more big plays and typically higher yards per carry. It just leads you to believe, like, what's going on with Pirine? Ty Johnson had those two carries, 13 yards. Uh, we had a run from Perriman for six, Crowder for 14, and Sam Darnold had seven rushes for 20 yards. A couple of them were really nice rushes, one for 11 yards, and picked up a few first downs. Um, so, solid game from him. We mentioned he only got sacked twice, so I think he moved around the pocket pretty well, especially when you're talking about a pass rush of the Cleveland Browns that consists of Sheldon Richardson, Miles Garrett, Olivier Vernon, and more. The offensive line, we talked about Becton early. He had a, a decent game against Garrett. He did give up the sack, two pressures, and a couple false starts, so not great from him. Elfline had a couple nice blocks. Solid game there. I mean, the team ran for 131 yards on a 3.9-yard per carry average, so you can't be disappointed with the total rushing attack. And since you're using guys like Frank Gore and Piran, like I mentioned, like 131 yards is actually solid. When you only get sacked two times, it's like, all right, I'm not going to be too mad at the offensive line in this game. So across the board, a solid job. So that is the offense. But before we move to the defense, we got to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little what's on tap. That is right, folks. This is what's on tap. And today, I've got something very special. Fiance Shannon, in honor of this Jets two-game winning streak, something that at one point this year we thought was never even possible. Tonight, she celebrates with a Manhattan a homemade cocktail from Fiance Shannon, who is great at making mixed drinks, by the way. Wonderful cocktails around the house. And this is Woodford Reserve, some bitters, sweet vermouth. She put a nice cherry garnish fresh in there, and it's delicious. I'm a whiskey guy, not a big Manhattan guy, but when it's the name of the city that I love for the New York Jets, and it tastes this good, and it goes down after a Jets win, a little celebratory drink, I'm feeling it. I'm loving it. Mmm. You got to take little sips, you know? These things are powerful. They're potent. I don't know how much alcohol is in there, but we can't go too crazy because we still got a defense, a special teams. We got next week. We got stuff to talk about here. We can't just be pounding Manhattans all night. But Fiance Shannon, wonderful work. Love it. Thank you very much. That is What's on Tap. And now, before the defense, a quick commercial. All righty, folks. Welcome back to This is the Jet Life. We are going to talk defense. We mentioned it early, talking about Frank Bush and what he did with the team. The defensive line had themselves a game. And there are a few players that really stood out. We are going to start with our defensive player of the game, Terrell Basham, who had two forced fumbles on Baker Mayfield in the last, what, five minutes of the game. He had a strip sack recovered by the Jets. And then on the fourth and one-foot conversion attempt by the Browns, he knocked the ball out there. It was advanced by Kareem Hunt. By rule, that ball can't be advanced, and the Jets win the game. Terrell Basham had himself a day. He had three quarterback hits to lead the team. He had a sack, two tackles for loss, and five tackles. Terrell Basham made the two biggest plays of the game at the time that mattered most. He's a guy who has not gotten a lot of love on this podcast this year. He's been very quiet at times. But at this point, he is our New York Jets defensive player of the game. I love the game I saw from him. Especially when you got your best defensive line player, Quinn and Williams, missing. You need other guys to step up. Another guy that stepped up in that absence, Nathan Shepard. 
He's put a few good weeks together now. He had a sack in this game. He had two quarterback hits, and you're starting to think, okay, Nathan Shepard can be part of this rotation of defensive linemen. I don't think that he should be an every-down defensive end. But you've seen he can play a little bit of defensive tackle. He's found some success at defensive end. And this is a game where the Jets are not blitzing a ton of extra people. He's getting a little pressure on the quarterback. So Nathan Shepard's, you know, his stock is rising right now. John Franklin Myers, he had a fumble recovery in this game on one of those Terrell Basham strip sacks. He had two quarterback hits. He had a sack himself. Another guy in that defensive line that's putting together a really nice season. It's not flashy by the numbers, but he makes plays consistently, and he's just one of those rotational pieces. None of these guys play 70% of snaps. These guys are playing 40, 50, 60% of snaps. And John Franklin Myers made his presence felt again. And then Foley Fadikasi on that line, four tackles, two tackles for a loss. You like what you see from him. He's a nice plug up the middle, and, you know, I love him as Quinn Williams' backup. He's as good as they come when you look at that. The other sack in this game for the fourth, Frankie Louvu. This guy has had, I, I mentioned it like two, three weeks ago. I said, okay, he had a good game. These are the types of things that get you potentially back in next year's training camp. Then he had another good game. Then he had another good game. And then this one, he has another sack. And Frankie Louvu is one of the hottest players in the defense right now. Jordan Jenkins took that spot for a lot of the season. But with him out right now, Frankie Louvu was playing with more speed, more tenacity, and getting more results than Jordan Jenkins had all year. So Frankie Louvu, I don't think he's a shoe in to be on the roster next year, but he's a shoe in to get a look, for sure. Joe Douglas is saying right now, oh, that Frankie Louvu, I wasn't sure what we had there, but I think that we've got an option. He's an option. So just have eight quarterback hits in this game. We talked about that defensive line and how well they played. You want to talk about some guys that didn't show up? Jabari Zaniga, he has never showed up, and he's starting to look, he's starting to look like a bust. He's going to have to be on the roster again next year because Joe Douglas drafted him too high to get rid of after half a season of playing. But he's really done nothing well and done a lot of bad plays. But your doghouse player of the week in this one, to me, it's got to be Henry Anderson. And why? You're thinking, well, what did Henry Anderson do? Did he do anything wrong? Well, he had one tackle in this game, but the guy played over 60% of snaps. And when you see everybody else in the defensive line getting the same sort of snap count share, you know, your Foley Fadakasi, Nathan Shepard, John Franklin Myers. You're seeing Terrell Basham and everybody getting after the quarterback, finding success. And then another guy's getting the same share. And for, what, like the 14th time this year, he was just gone. He deserves to be doghouse player of the game. We give Chris Herndon doghouse player of the game for the same reason that, like, this guy should be making plays. And he's not. So who do you give it to? It's Chris Herndon. Henry Anderson plays a high percentage of snaps. He's considered the starting defensive end, the right side of the defense, and he's one of the highest paid players on this team. And he has had an abysmal, totally unproductive, totally lame season for the Jets. And it's time that we finally bring light to it because he can't be here. He can't be a Jet anymore. He has to be replaced. We have to find somebody else. And listen, I loved him at one point. He had a really good season. He blocked a lot of kicks, punts, and found sacks. And that's the reason that he got another contract. Since then... He's not really been good. That was a classic Mike McCagnan move. See it once, pay him, and then, you know, lie in that bed. And the Henry Anderson bed is made of nails right now. So he's our doghouse player of the game. Moving over to the linebackers, Neville Hewitt played a little bit of defense, uh, played a little bit of coverage because they had a lot of tight ends in this game. We mentioned three guys, Njoku, Bryant, and Hooper, playing a lot. Neville Hewitt played coverage. He had two pass deflections in this game. 
but for one of the first times this year, he did not lead the team in tackles. He only had five. Leading tackler, Bryce Hager, the guy that got a shout-out last week for playing 131 snaps to date without any real output. And in this game, Bryce Hager leads the team with 10 total tackles. He had a tackle for loss, pass deflection. You know, we had solid games from the defensive backs as well. When you look at Baker Mayfield's stats in this game, he did put up 206, uh, 285 total passing yards, but he threw 53 times, and it was for a 5.4 average. He had no touchdowns, and we sacked him. A couple were coverage sacks because they weren't super fast blitzes that were unpicked up. They were just guys beating their coverage, beating their assignments, and getting to the quarterback when he's holding the ball in the pocket for too long. And that's what we saw. So a decent game from the defensive backs. Uh, Bryce Hall continues to impress me. I think that he had maybe one bad game mixed in there, but he had a pass deflection, a couple nice tackles on third down, and uh, he looks like a guy that maybe shouldn't be the number one, maybe not even the number two cornerback for this team, but definitely should be a number three outside cornerback fighting for that number two spot. Bless Austin, I feel like he's in the same sort of boat. He's been trending down for me a little bit recently, but he had been the best cornerback on this Jets team to date uh, for probably 11, 12 weeks this season. And so I can't put too much stock in just like two games towards the end of the year. He started getting a couple penalties and not really looking as flashy as he had. He's still a pretty good tackler. He's still pretty reliable and should be in the mix for the Jets because not only do you want to have a really good starting defensive backfield, but you want to have good depth there as well because we know what happens with this with this unit. Guys go down. And you got to find somebody that can fill in. And you can't just totally sell the farm every time somebody goes down and be like, well, I guess we can't win because we don't have X. You got to have guys in place to step in. Looking at the safeties in this game, Arthur Mollette, he played slot with a couple snaps at safety. He had three pass deflections, a really nice game from him. Uh, it's kind of making it confusing. Like, all right, what do we do with Mollette? You're going to have to bring him to training camp and see what he can do versus guys like. If you have Brian Poole back, if you've got Javelin Gidry back, who was out for injury in this game, Arthur Marlette's not been the model of excellence on this team, but he's got some moments here and there over the past two years that you're just like, oh, it's worth keeping him around right now because maybe. So that was another one of those games from him. Matthias Farley played. He had two pass deflections, five tackles. He played a lot at that strong safety position. Marcus May, second on the team in tackles with seven. A quiet game from him, but in reality, the Browns weren't pushing the ball downfield, and he's part of the reason why. He defends the deep ball. They didn't have a lot of their receivers there, but Marvin Hall is more than capable of getting downfield quickly. And Marcus May, you know, defend that deep ball, make sure nothing gets past you, no big plays, and hopefully we can hold them to 16 points. That's what we did, and we win. So a decent game from the defense there. Got to be happy with Frank Bush and the unit, how they've played in this two-game winning streak. Going over to that special teams unit, you got a couple guys to talk about here. You got your kicker, Sam Ficken, one for two. He did miss a kick. He made a 34-yarder, missed an extra point. Okay, so there's four points off the board we should have had. The missed kick was blocked. But then also he had this horrible out-of-bounds kick with like four minutes to go in the game when the Jets just had to have a nice kickoff, and he starts him at the 40, and you're like, what in the hell is going on, Ficken? That is absolutely inexcusable, and uh, we've said it before. Sam Ficken, he's gotten special teams player of the game a few times this year. Lack of a better option, mostly. He should not be back next year. The Jets need to get a real kicker. When you talk about the punter, you're talking about the special teams player of the game, Braden Mann. Why is he special teams player of the game? Because on seven punts, five of those were inside the 20-yard line. And we talked about the field position battle in this game. 
The Jets don't win this game, giving the ball to the Browns consistently at the 30, 40-yard line. Short fields, they're going to get in the field goal range. They move the ball well enough to do that. But when you're consistently putting them within their own 20, sometimes within their own 10, that's when you make it very difficult on them, and that's when you know you give up one, two, three first downs, but still no points come of it, and you force a punt. Braden Mann did that five times out of his seven punts, and he gets special teams player of the game for it. That was a huge, huge factor in the game. It's not talked about enough. I like to see that from Braden Mann, especially because you know the two things with him, we know he's got a boot sometimes. He has the ability to kick it very, very far, but sometimes he's inconsistent. Sometimes he gets a really short punt, and you're just like, where the heck did that come from? Kind of like Locke Edwards would always have one shank every game, but Braden Mann can kick it further. Braden Mann also can tackle better, but the real issue with him this year has been he can't get them inside the 20 and not inside the 10. He doesn't get those balls rolling inside the 5, those really flashy, nice punts that you're just like, ooh-wee. He didn't have any of those 1-2 yard liners in this one, but it was as good as they've been for him. In the return game, Corey Ballantyne, he's been solid. No fumbles from him still. Two returns, 40 yards, 20-yard line both times. It wasn't a great game, but like we've seen enough from Corey Ballantyne that if he doesn't make a mistake, you're like, all right, I still feel pretty good about that guy returning the ball. Braxton Berrios was the punt returner. Still no fumbles for him. Super reliable. He had a long of 12, 21 total punt return yards on three punt returns. That's probably the most punt returns he's had in the game, partially because you know he was feeling a little confident taking these balls back, partially because we forced the Browns to punt so many times. They actually punted the ball in this game six times, which is more than the Jets usually create and so uh that was exciting but yeah special teams when you're looking at it it was Braden man so now really the last order of business before we close this thing out is looking ahead to the Jets Patriots matchup this game taking place at Foxborough 1 p.m on CBS we've already played them once week nine we lost 30 to 27 with Joe Flacco at quarterback now New England is currently three-point favorites against the Jets but we don't know who their quarterback's going to be. Could it be Cam Newton, Jarrett Stidham, Brian Hoyer? All three of them have been horrible this year. So I don't really care who it is. I'd like to beat up, personally, if it's my choice, I'd like to beat up Cam Newton for a half and then see Jarrett Stidham come in and then beat him up for a half. I think that Cam Newton is more fun to beat up because he was that guy who was potentially going to be the savior after Tom Brady left, like, oh, but we got Cam Newton for a million bucks, and he's coming here to save this team. It's like, yeah, but maybe Cam Newton sucks, and that's what ended up happening. Cam Newton's horrible, can't throw the ball. But if you're talking about, like, stats and seeing guys get after the quarterback and maybe forcing fumbles and interceptions, that's Jarrett Stidham territory. He takes a ton of sacks. He throws the ball with horrible accuracy. He looks like what I imagine Christian Hackenberg would look like. Now, don't get me wrong, the Jets are missing a lot of players on defense, are not the strongest unit on defense. And if Jarrett Stidham plays against them, it's very possible that he will have his best game that he's had with the Patriots. But uh, still, there is very little to like when you see his game. Brian Hoyer, he played a game this year, really botched it with uh, situational awareness, and he may not get another opportunity. So when you're looking at it, it's like, put in whoever you want. I'm not afraid of their running attack. I'm not afraid of their receivers. I'd like to stop Jacoby Myers because he's one of the big names you see. But other than that, not too scary. The big thing for the Jets to win this game, which at this point we want to because there's no way we're not drafting second, and it's Adam Gase's, you know, swan song farewell. He's on a two-game winning streak. Can we let one of the worst Jets head coaches in history go on a three-game winning streak after losing the first 13 games to just close out his career and resume? Just be like, what in the hell happened with that guy? And he won three games to end it. 
just like we won, what was it, six out of seven last year to end it, and it was like, hmm, I wonder. Just very funny. Plus, beating the Patriots always feels great. And the recipe to doing that is going to come Sam Darnold versus that Patriots defense. They don't have all the weapons that they had last year. They're missing Donta Hightower and Patrick Chung due to COVID holdouts. Same way we were missing C.J. Mosley. They got a couple good guys back there. We still know that they've got Stephon Gilmore. J.C. Jackson gets a lot of interceptions. They've still got Devin McCourty back there. But when it comes to getting after the passer, they are not finding a lot of success this year. I believe the most sacks they have on their team come from Chase Winovich, a guy that we should have taken instead of Ja'Kai Polite, but still, he's got like three and a half or four sacks this year, and that's the most on their team. I mean, that's like Jets bad, but at least we've got Quinn and Williams of seven. Not worried about their pass rush. I'm worried about their deceptive defenses and the way they switch their safeties and cornerbacks around and fake blitzes and bring guys back that caused Sam Darnold's one time to see ghosts. They don't have the horses. The team doesn't have the fire. When you saw them play against the Bills, they looked like they didn't care and they were uninterested in the game. And frankly, I think that the Patriots is not a fun place to play. I think Bill Belichick is not a fun coach to have. I think that the organization is a no rules, no frills, do your job, which is all fun in games. Not technically, but it's all fine when you're winning Super Bowls and making the playoffs. But when you're winning six games and your team is bad and your leader is Cam Newton, who only cares about himself and his clothes and half the players are missing for like opt outs. And Bill Belichick is just this dry sense of humor. It's like, is anybody really even having fun there? I've said for years that New England is not a place that players like to play in terms of like the vibe and the aspect of the team. They just like winning. It's a place to get a ring because people want a ring, but they don't actually enjoy their time there. They just enjoy the legacy that's created when they play there. There's no more legacy. It's just no fun. And these players are playing with no heart. And I'd love to see Bill Belichick's squad completely give up on him for one more game, make it ugly. Let's let the Jets win this one. And, you know, I don't want to get greedy here, but could we win by a few touchdowns and see a good game from Sam Darnold? A good game from the defense, maybe sacking Jarrett Stidham and Cam Newton. There's a lot of opportunity, and they're going to be panning to Adam Gase a ton to show him in his last game, and Dowell Loggins also falling on the sword with Adam Gase will probably not get mentioned nearly as much, though he is just as much as part of this thing as Gase is. Then they're going to show Bill Belichick a ton and talk about how the Patriots aren't the dynasty that they used to be. They'll probably talk about the Bills and the Dolphins a ton, and it's going to be a really weird, annoying sort of game that means nothing. But when it comes down to it, because it means nothing, let's just smoke the Patriots. I'm rooting for the Jets. I'm happy to see Adam Gase go, but I am standing behind him one more time, rooting for one final win to close out this season. I feel much better about the 2020 Jets today than I did three weeks ago. Before the Raiders came, I felt horrible about the team. But now, sitting here, looking at what they did against the Rams, against the Browns, they got an opportunity to close this thing out, and as my dad said, give us a peek around the corner of what this team can do, see some of these young guys stepping up, see some players fighting their way towards new contracts. We don't want to have to replace 53 guys. We want to have to replace as few as possible. We know we have to replace a lot because the team is bad, but it'd be nice to have some people in place, and they've got one more game to prove that they're the guys. So let's see it. Let's make our options better than we thought. So let's go, Jets. One more week. I'll be back here. Talking New York Jets, New England Patriots. You can follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. Please rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. And until next time, I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. (laughs) 